0: Hey, church family, just wanted to say hello, and I apologize I'm not with you today. However, uh, if you haven't heard, I have the flu, so my good friend, Cade Pierce, is going to be preaching this morning. If you don't know Cade's story, uh, he can tell you a little bit about it, but he was a member of our church that's where he grew up, and uh, we've launched him into ministry, and he's now a student pastor at Bay Area Church. We're very excited to have him back. Everybody give a big Heritage Park welcome to Cade Pierce. Thanks, you guys. Thanks so much. Hey, if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to get to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. That's where we're going to land today. <clears throat> Continuing this series, you guys are moving through the book of Acts. You guys have been in it for a couple of weeks now. Uh, the goal is this that as we move through the book of Acts, there will be ongoing inward transformation in each one of us, that as we look through the words, of God and God by his spirit would change us inwardly to look more like his son and as he does that a second thing would happen that ongoing outward ministry would happen that God would shape us and mold us and chisel away whatever it is that he wants to do to make us like a son and then send us out into the world as we see the apostles here in the book of Acts so we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 1 we'll read through verse 13 but I can remember a buddy of mine he had his first kid a couple of years ago and he became a dad for the first time. So we were all cheering for that. We were all really excited about that. And I began to notice some things that were different about him. And it wasn't like, you're more tired now and you smell like throw up and a dirty diaper. That was likely true. Uh, but, I, but I noticed that he, he interacted with and talked about and spoke to God differently than I did. It was, it was as if... He, he had this deeper understanding of what god was like as a father as he became a parent and i'm not a parent and some of you are so you probably get that but i can remember him praying and and saying things like god i love my son and there's nothing that he could do or nothing that he couldn't do to make me love him less And God, I know that's the smallest picture of how you love me. God, I celebrate moments where I I see him take one step. And so God, I know that you celebrate over us when we take one step in obedience to you. And it was this big moment in life for him that that caused him to understand more of who God was. And I tell you that because we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 today. And as we look at this big, huge moment in the life of the church, and for that matter in history, what I hope that it does is we would say that this big event has helped us understand more of who God is. That's really what we want to do today as we look at this movement that happens here at Pentecost. And really, specifically what we want to know is that Pentecost teaches us about the faithfulness of God, about the personal nature of God, and about our witness for God. So if you'll read along with me, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I'll read through verse 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So what I want to do is just move through this section of Acts chapter two and ask this question. What are the lessons that we learn from Pentecost? Specifically, what are the lessons that we learn about who God is from this moment at Pentecost? And the first thing is this. And we learn that God is always faithful. God is always faithful. Look back at verse one with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They had obediently stayed in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. He's like, hey, chill out here. The Passover's happened. Chill out here, hang, hang around, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He promised. And then verse two, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And in that moment, they were proven that God promised and God came through because God is faithful. And in two ways, we we should understand that God is faithful in this giving of the Spirit, that God is presently faithful. God has been faithful because the, the disciple would have remembered them interacting with Jesus like in John chapter 16, Jesus speaks to the disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine this as a disciple? Like you've been walking with him for two ish years at this point. And Jesus is like, hey guys, I know this has been real awesome and stuff, but I'm going to leave real soon. I'm going to die and then I'm going to get up from the dead and then I'm going to ascend into heaven. And they're like, no, we don't want you to leave. You're the man. Please don't leave us. He's like, no, no, no. It's actually going to be better when I leave because I'm going to send the helper and he's going to come to you. And they're like, I don't really know how it's going to get better than this, Jesus. Please don't leave us. And then he does. He ascends into heaven, but he promised them just like back in Acts 1, 4 through 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Acts chapter 2 happens, and they were proven in that moment. He's faithful. He promised, and he provided. Nothing that he has said has not come true. He is trustworthy and good. He has been faithful to us, just like he said. And this giving of the Spirit has proved that, that God is always faithful in the present. But the giving of the Spirit also proves to us that God is faithful in the future. Not only is God faithful in the present, but God is faithful in the future. God has been faithful, so that means that God also will be faithful. We see that in Ephesians 1, 13-14. In him, that's Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That this is the reality. That if you are in here and you bear the name Christian, that you are in Christ, that you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That when you, upon belief, you received the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in your body and sealed you. And the Bible says that's a guarantee. Maybe your Bible says he's a down payment. Of what? of the inheritance that you will receive, that you have not received yet. It's good news for us today. This is not as good as it gets. It gets way better. And that's worth holding on to. That's hope that we have as we keep living obediently for Christ. And as we receive the spirit, it's proof that God has been and God will also be faithful in the future. The inheritance waits for us. He's promised it. He will come through. Now, what does that mean for us? It means this, that God is faithful even when your circumstances don't look like he is. I mean, imagine the circumstance for these disciples. They stumbled and fumbled and did some moronic things along the way. I get that. But at some level, they understood. You're the Christ. We're following the guy. Like, you're just not some rabbi. You're the rabbi. Like, don't leave us. And he ascends into heaven. And I imagine the circumstances in that moment are like, what are we going to do? Let's just go sit in this room and hope that something better (laughs) happens. And God remained faithful to them, even when the circumstances didn't prove true. And maybe some of you are in that position. Maybe you're still staring at the studs of your house, saying, these circumstances don't look so great, God. And the reality is, is that God is faithful even when your circumstances don't look like it. But maybe you got the diagnosis or the kid is upside down or the family blew up and the circumstances are crummy. The reality is, is that God is faithful even when your circumstances don't look like it. And I think we know that. like In our minds, we know that. Like We would never ever say out loud, God, you're not faithful. Or, God, you're not good. That blanket statement is always true for us, but we struggle with, God, you're not faithful. God, you're not good to me. You're good to those people out there. It seems like it's going well for those people out there, but when it comes to me, oh God, I don't know that you're faithful or good to me. But what we learn here from Acts chapter two is that God has been and God will be forever faithful. He's never failed. He will not start. What makes us think? What makes us think that God, the God who has never failed is going to say, you know what? I better start failing with you. He's not. He's not. He's never failed. He's always been faithful. Let's hold on to that reality. This reality that God is always faithful also helps us in this way, that when we witness God's faithfulness, it ought to grow our faith. When we witness God's faithfulness, it ought to grow our faith. And one way that it's helpful for you to do this is, is to write those moments down. If you can remember when, when the Israelites crossed the Jordan, Joshua was like, "Hey, get to, God was like, "Hey, Joshua, get 12 dudes, stack some stones." Why? Because if you don't stack these up, people are going to forget that I did this. So, what should we do? Let's stack some stones, write it down, paint it on your wall. I don't care what you have to do to remember, but remember. Remember the faithfulness of God because when you're faithful to do so, it grows your faith. It it strengthens your faith for what moment? For the moment when the circumstances don't look like it's going to be so good. You walk through it, you stay the course, you say, God, you've never, ever failed. I'm holding on to you. The second thing that we learn from Acts chapter 2 is that God desires personal intimacy. God desires personal intimacy. Look at verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As you catch it, the, the divided tongues of fire separated and rested on each one of them. And they each, all of them, received the Holy Spirit. And I think for us, if we've been in church for any amount of time, you're like, yeah, that's just how it goes. Like, you didn't know you're preaching. You should know that people received the Holy Spirit. works. For a Jew, this would have been outrageous. Think about this. The Jews thought about nearness of God as a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke that led us in the desert. That pillar is up there. That that pillar of fire is up there. At, At the best, we get to see the pillar of fire come down on the tabernacle, and Moses got to go in. But I didn't. I just got to stand outside of my tent and watch and be like, what's it like? Or maybe the temple finally got built, and they thought, God is in there. God is up there. That's why they've journeyed to Jerusalem. They're coming here for this festival, this Pentecost, this feast. Why? Because this is where God is. We've come to worship God. We've journeyed all the way to Jerusalem to do so because God is in there. And the the only person that gets to go in there is the high priest and he only gets to go in once a year. And so for the Holy Spirit to take up residence on each believer would have blown their mind. And now what was once, God is in the temple in Jerusalem. God has said, no, no, the temple is now in here. That's crazy. Like it's become normal for us, but that's outrageous. Because this reality from Ezekiel uh, 36 has come true. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. That sounds a lot like what's going on right here. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will clean you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The reality of First Corinthians 6 or do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. God is no longer up, up there. God is no longer in there. God is now in here. Because God desires personal intimacy with us. That's unbelievable. It's worth noting that when the Holy Spirit comes, this... Moment happens in verse four, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, often people get hung up on that, on that moment. Oh, they received the Spirit and then tongues happened, but we ought to read it carefully. They received the Spirit and they spoke in other tongues, so let's read it all the way through. They spoke in other tongues. What was happening? They were declaring the mighty works of God. They were hearing in their own language the mighty works of God. It wasn't some like, unintelligible language. It was worship, this is, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. We ought not be people who think. Oh, so when you receive the Spirit, then tongues is the proof. No, no, no. When you receive the Spirit, declaring the mighty works of God is the proof. Therefore, that's true for us. That we've received the Spirit and declared the mighty works of God. But what does this, what does this mean for us? What does this de- the reality that God desires personal intimacy mean for us, the first thing is this. That you and I and everyone who is in here that is in Christ, you have full access to the presence of God all of the time. Uninhibited, unhindered access to the presence of God all the time. Hebrews 4 says it like this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. None of us who are in Christ have to cower into the presence of God. None of us in Christ have to tiptoe into the presence of God. You just get to walk in. Not based on you, not based on anything we brought to the table, but based on Jesus in your place. You see, so often I can get into this mode. That I don't, I, I'm not perfect, so i i I screw up a lot. Let's just be. And when I do so, I can, I can slip into this mode of trying to work for God in order for God to be okay with me again. Because the reality is is that every, every arena that I've lived in is performance-based. You go to school and you perform for the grades that you get. And if you get good grades, you get into a good school. And if you get into a good school, you get a good degree. And if you get a good degree, you get a big house. And if you get a big house, you hopefully have room for a family and so on and so on and so on goes. And and jobs are performance-based, and sports are performance-based, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying we should change that system. It is what it is. The reality, but the problem is, is we take that mentality and we bring it into our relationship with Christ. And we think, if everybody else treats me in this performance-based world, why, God, wouldn't you treat me in this performance-based world? And the reality is, it's it's based on somebody's performance, just not yours. It's based on Jesus' performance in your place, and Jesus was perfect. That's why the gospel is so good because God in his kindness saw that we couldn't get it right. So he sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life you and I could not, to die the death you and I were supposed to die and to victoriously rise from the dead and say, you can come into my presence confidently to find mercy and grace to help forever. And so this giving of the spirit should forever prove to us that we have full access to God forever. Forever. You don't journey to Jerusalem to worship. You can worship at home, in the car. I don't care where you are. You have access to God forever. And also this desire, this desire that God has for intimacy, this intimacy should lead to transformation. This intimacy should lead to transformation. Romans chapter eight, verse nine through 11 says it like this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, when we have the spirit of God in us, it transforms us day by day into the image of Christ. All over the scriptures, you see that the, that the spirit is referred to in all kinds of different ways. The comforter, the counselor, the I mean, all over the place. So if you've ever received comfort from God, that's because of the spirit of God in your life. If you've ever received leading and counsel from God, it's because of the spirit of God that indwells your body. If you've ever received conviction, that comes from the spirit. Oh, that we would be convicted and be different. In this moment, I'm so thankful for conviction. When I'm being convicted, I'm like, man, this is uncomfortable, but I know it's for my good. And that intimacy that God desires for us should lead to our transformation. That if the Holy Spirit of God dwells in our body, we ought to be day by day more like Christ. I'm not saying you're nailing it. I'm not saying you're perfect right now. I'm saying day by day, from one degree of glory to the next, we ought to be transformed into the image of Christ. The third thing that we learn from this moment at Pentecost is that there, there is no witness. There is no witness without empowerment. There is no witness without Empowerment. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They had gathered for Pentecost. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So they hear them speaking as they're speaking and declaring the mighty works of God, and they're, they're just like, wait, 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 wait. And it draws them in and a crowd starts to form. They're like, so you're not, you're Galilean. And I'm not hearing you speak like a Galilean should speak. I'm hearing you actually in the language of my hometown. That's really strange. It shouldn't be that way. Verse 8. And how is it that we can hear each one in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they start to witness to the goodness of God to all of these people that are out there hearing them. Now maybe the natural question is this, so where does the empowerment come from then? Well, Jesus told them back in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the formula goes, you receive power through the Spirit and then you witness. Our witness is only as good as the power from which it comes. And they receive the Spirit and they begin to witness to the wonderful, good, great, mighty works of God. And Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What's interesting is the ends of the earth have descended upon Jerusalem in this moment. And it's not that, oh, well, the disciples aren't going to go because they will. But in a moment, you're going to see Peter stand up, preach the gospel to these people. Thousands of folks are going to get saved. And you know where they're going to go? Home. And to the ends of the earth with the gospel in their mouth. Because you see, all that God has promised is coming true. Because he's faithful. But they're empowered and they have this witness. And their witness is only as good as the source of power from which it comes. So what's the result of that empowerment for them? The first thing is gratitude. The first thing is gratitude. And Peter refers to this in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He calls it the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is true for us. The fact that we have been given the Holy Spirit is not a right, is not a privilege, it is a gift from God. We should never ever gloss over that. We should never ever just normalize that. That the Holy Spirit of God indwells our body and leads us and comforts us and convicts us and shapes us and molds us, that is an unbelievable reality that we ought not get used to, but rather be so grateful for every single day. It is a gift that we've been given. It's just, all we can do is receive it with gratitude. We have to be grateful. The second thing that we find is the result of this empowerment is boldness. So they receive the Holy Spirit and they begin speak the mighty works of God. And some people are amazed and then other people come up and they're like, y'all dudes are drunk. And so Peter with every bit of boldness, stands up. We're not drunk. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit that comes from Jesus, whom you crucified, who has risen from the dead. So come and believe. And thousands of folks come to Christ that day. Well, you might think, well, yeah, 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 but that was Peter. He's an apostle and stuff. And obviously he's really good at that. Read one gospel and find that Peter... Is a moron. He just makes like some bad decisions over and over again. He speaks before he ought to. He cuts a dude's ear off and Jesus is like, we're not doing that today, Peter. That's not what we're doing. (laughs) There's nothing special about Peter other than he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. So, Christian, you bear the same power that Peter had. What's stopping you? Because you you see, your witness is only as powerful as the source from which you're drawing. If you're drawing from yourself, that's a pretty weak witness. If you're drawing from the Spirit of God, you've got limitless power. Limitless. So what ought that to do in us? There's no witness without empowerment. What does that mean for us? The first thing it means is that we ought to be grateful. We ought to be grateful for this gift of the Spirit. Forever live in gratitude for receiving the Spirit. And the second thing that it ought to do in us is it ought to make us bold. It ought to make us bold bold to go from this place in ongoing outward ministry to share the gospel and the mighty works of God with your neighborhood and with your kids' sports teams and, and, and the places that you work and the places that you walk, the circles that you are living in. That's where God wants you to go. That's really good news for me. God's not just saying like, hey, go find some random folks and share the gospel with them. Though that's okay. You can do that. But God has already given you circles to live in. People that you know people that you care about, people that you really do long, like, you, like I, I really want you to know Jesus. And you have this great opportunity to do so by being around them week in and week out, day in and day out. And because we have received the Spirit who's empowered us, we ought to be bold to speak and to love and to point people to Christ. I know it's, fear, like, I know it's a fearful thing. I know it's scary. You're like, what if they reject me and they ask me a question that I don't know? Or what if they shove me out and don't let me come around anymore? And what if they, and and there's all these scenarios that you play in your head. I've played all of those scenarios in my head before. I have. A friend of mine said to me once, something that freed me up in regards to evangelism. He said, okay, the win for you is that you're obedient to God, not that they receive Jesus. You see, because if they receive Jesus, that's not my win, that's God's win. I have no ability to draw people to Christ. And for that matter, I don't want to because that's a whole lot of pressure on me that I don't need to carry. I'll blow that up more times than I win it. But if the only thing that's on me is to be obedient, that's far different. You see, so, so the win for you is to be obedient, celebrate obedience. If you come and you're obedient to Christ and you share the gospel with your neighbor and you declare the mighty works of God to the person at your work and they shoved you out, you know what? You won anyway because you were obedient. Let the empowerment of the spirit make you bold out here. It ought to, it ought to. Because he gives us the words to speak. He gives us the places to go. He leads us, he guides us, he convicts us and shapes us makes us bold. We're empowered by the Spirit of God. And so the question that you need to ask yourself today is what's the lesson that I need to grab onto? Do I need to cling to the fact that God is faithful? Maybe so. Do I need to know, do I need to just know deep down that that God desires personal intimacy with me? That God really does desire a relationship with me? Or maybe, maybe you need to know that the witness that you carry is only as good as the power from which you draw. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's all three. But what I hope from, from these scriptures today is that it would change you forever. Not because some kids stood up here and, and taught, but because the scriptures are alive and you're indwelled by the spirit of God. Let's go be bold and let's go be different. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Father, we are unbelievably grateful that you have given us your spirit, that through Christ you have sent your spirit to indwell our bodies and empower us and remind us that you're faithful, and remind us that you desire intimacy with us. Oh God, I pray that we could not move past that. We would never get over it. It would sink down into our souls and cause us to worship you daily. Help us in that way. God, for those that are struggling, there in circumstances that they're not sure if you're going to be faithful, oh God, I pray that this truth from Acts chapter 2 would remind them that you're faithful. You never, ever have failed. Oh God, I pray that you would draw them in. You would shape them by the power of your spirit, be more like your son. But we love you. We trust you. Say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to take a moment. We're going to respond. And I hope that you would take this moment and just respond to whatever it is that God's speaking to you and you'd use this time to worship. So why don't you stand and we'll worship together.